All right, Zig on the top. Today on the show, we have Joseph Siraki, a Cleveland-based comic author. He joins me and my musical partner in crime, Dakota Michael Kroos, in the garage at C-Level HQ. Dakota, Joe, and I talk all things comics. We dive into the uh, local indie um, creator-based mentality, the ups and downs that go with that, the writing process, the, uh, the amount of work it takes to go into researching some of the topics Joe covers in the books he's written, um, which Joe has three published books. Book number one is Letter to Joe, published by Top Shelf. Um, book number two is The Life and Death of the Brave Captain Suave from Scout Comics and Ghost of Science Past, published by Humanoids, available at your local comic shop. Um, and they're all in tradeback except for The Life and Death of the Brave Captain Suave. The tradeback comes out on October 25th, but the final order cutoff is September 17th. So, if you want to get a copy in your local comic book store, The Life and Death of the Brave Captain Suave, September 17th, final order cutoff. Also, josephsiraki.com has all the information right there. So, Coda, um, Joe and I chat in my garage, and it's one of the first in-person interviews me and uh, Coda got to do in a long time. A lot of them have been over Zoom or been over call, and uh, so this was really exciting. But what made it even cooler is Joe comes in with comics that he thinks we'd be interested in, not ones that he wrote, just ones he found he thought we would dig, and gives us books. Such a cool and awesome, nice thing to do. And that pure, awesome, real-deal dude comes out in his own work. His own work is very captivated. It's very well-researched. It's comical. It has heart and soul that just kind of sucks you into the worlds he creates. And we were very honored and excited to share some time with Joe in uh, my garage. A few more things till we get to this interview. Um, Coda and I play in a band called C-Level, letter c dash Level. We are a high-energy funk, funk, reggae rock group that takes acoustic 12 strings and runs them through Marshall amplifiers. We are playing at the Beachland Tavern, opening up for MSSV, featuring the legendary Mike Watt. Also, October 19th at the Grog Shop, we are opening up for Pacifier. These are all Ohio-based uh, venues and shows. So if you're not in Ohio, give us a spin on Spotify or any of the other streaming stuff. It'd be much appreciated. If you uh, enjoy this podcast, if you can like, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast and any of the podcast platforms, it helps me keep talking to cool guests like Joe and sharing insight with you. So here's Coda and I's conversation with Joseph Siraki. The fair city of Cleveland faces many trials and tribulations. Corrupt politicians, gang violence, a river so polluted it burns, and worst of all, just a god-awful professional football team. In these dire times, the city looks to one man as a shining beacon of hope. Joseph Siraki! <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> How's it going, Joe? It's going great. That is by far the uh, single best introduction I think I've ever gotten on any interview that I've ever done. So thank you very much for that. It's an honor to have you on the podcast, the the uh, shining light of Cleveland here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks so much for joining us in the C-Level HQ, yeah, the this, garage. <laughs> this, is, this is cool. Uh, I've never done a local uh, podcast either before, so... Uh, you know, to meet you guys and actually get to hang out with you. I really appreciate you having me. 
you know, cool. It's thanks for coming out. Like this is like Cody was saying earlier, we haven't got to do too many of these in person. So this is exciting. Yeah. And uh, Cody, I want I want you to kind of lead in as we're going with these questions, because I, I feel like I can dive into a lot of things that may skewer that. But I think what Dave's trying to say is he's like cue his, up the his, first question. His interviewing fo- is more philosophical and I'm more direct. All yeah. Right? Well, because uh, like, yeah, hit it. So anyways, I just I thought we would start off. I just wanted to kind of tell the story of how I met you and how the interview came about. Yeah. So we first met at Comics Argo um, earlier in this year. I think it was yeah, probably that would March have been, or April. I think it was actually maybe even before that, maybe like August or of last year. Or you last think? year, I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because it was when the first issue of Captain Swab yep, came out. That's when the first issue came okay, out. Okay, so August last year. So you were in Comics Argo promoting the first issue, and you had a table set up. And uh, I have a personal rule. Comics Argo is my local shop that I go to. Shout Which out is to located in, for people who may not be listening. In, in Sheffield, Ohio. Ohio. Uh, <laughs> shout out to Eric yep. and Ed. Eric's a great guy. Yeah, we've we've talked about them on here before. Me and Dave have actually, we actually wrote a theme song <laughs> oh, really? for yeah. Comics Argo. Nice. <laughs> two of them. We gave them two. Yep. Two versions. So anyways, I was at Comics Argo, and I, I have a personal rule where if anyone comes to the shop and sets up to promote their book, mm-hmm. I buy the first issue. No matter how crazy the pitch is, no matter how annoying the person is, <laughs> or, or weird. And or, I was or I was all of those things all for sure. All of the above. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But like I said, I always buy the first issue. It's just a thing. I know. I know what it. I. I know it takes a lot out of a person to go do self promotion like that. I've spent yeah. many hours outside of somebody else's gig trying to hand a flyer or a CD out. So yeah. just as a respect thing, I always buy the first issue. And of all the times I've done that, Captain Suave was easily the best one I've ever encountered. Dude, that's awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, and uh, so I got the first issue from you. You gave me the ash can, which was really cool. And I went home, read that. That got me hooked to where I decided I was going to finish the miniseries. Um, Typically what I do when I read a first issue, if I really like it, I'm in. If I'm kind of iffy on it, I'll get the second issue and let that be the deciding factor. But I was was in on issue one. But, like, when I... What I do with my... my, Because I'm a single-issue guy. I told you Dave's more of a... I want the whole story. He's, yeah, he's, yeah. A, he's a trade guy. He's Novel trade waiter, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 Trade waiter. I got a term. Yeah. yeah. Our, our drummer's like ah. that, too. He calls them floppies. Uh-huh. It just drives me nuts. I'm like, <laughs> they're not floppies. <laughs> but they are. But uh, So each week, I go home and I put them in. A, I know everyone else that does that gets single issues does this, too. You put them in a stack of, like, yep. what's your favorite one, which one you're going to read first. Some rise to the top. Yeah, so yeah. that's what I'm getting at. Is Suave, of course, started on the bottom because I'd never heard <laughs> That's fair. And issue two and issue three were kind of, like, in the middle. And then issue three was the one that really, really sold me to where I was, like, went from liking the book to, like, loving the book and being like, this is... My new favorite book. This is on the top of the pile now. Thank you it's, so much. It's topping Spider-Man. Or <laughs> you were right, and it takes a lot for an indie book to do that, you know. Because I'm a big Mar. I'm not a. I'm not a big DC guy. I read a few DC books, but I'm a big Marvel guy. I read probably like all of them. Fifty yeah. percent of what Marvel puts out. <laughs> sure. So for an indie book to rise above that, it takes a lot. So I read all of Captain Suave. Loved it. 
And I kind of thought, like, that was it. I was like, okay, if I ever see another book from this guy, I'm going to read it. And that, that was kind of the end of the story for me, at least for now. And then flash forward a few months later, so if that was August, it would have been like maybe two or three months later, I went to C2E2 in Chicago, Comic-Con in Chicago. We've talked about that on here before, too. Um, and when I go there, I always gather all my books up for people to sign inevitably there's always a few creators i run into that i'm like i didn't know you were gonna be here i love your book but i yeah. it's in cleveland yeah. you know and that's what happened to me with kelly williams the artist on captain suave i was walking down the lane and i see all his stuff set up and i was immediately like whoa you're here whoa and you, you, <laughs> you know how kelly is he, yeah he was just kind of like super yep. chill Minding yep. his own business, probably yeah, drawing. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. He was drawing when yep. I walked up. Yep. He was drawing a Modoc, I remember. <laughs> and I just started fanboying hard. Cause like I said, I didn't expect him to be there. And this was like my favorite indie book of the year or so, you know? So like I was really stoked. I started like fanboying out. And I think he was kind of like blown away by the amount of fanboy I was hitting him with. Yeah, yeah. The enthusiasm. <laughs> And uh, kind of wrap the story up. I ended up, you know, I'll talk about my meeting with him more, but like I ended up buying a letter to Joe from him. Mm -hmm. Didn't read the description, didn't ask him about the book. I just bought it strictly because you wrote it, he drew it. I just looked at the cover. That's That was it. I went home a week or so later, read it, and it was one of those books that I couldn't put down. I meant to put it down because I do all my, I do most of my reading at work <laughs> because I, Which, da I dare my boss to fire me. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I guess your boss does not listen to this I, podcast. I have, I have one of those jobs where I perpetually just go into work and dare them <laughs> to fire me. I know my value and I know I will not be fired. <laughs> Quote, unquote. Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, he said before he got fired on Monday. <laughs> Yo, you hear what your boy's saying on the internet? <laughs> so I usually, I've, the time I had to read, I should have read about half the book. Yeah. And I ended up just reading the whole thing. I went into work late. Yeah, man. And I went in like teary eyed and everything. This is that's about the nicest compliment you could you could give anyone. Seriously, we should probably just end the podcast right now. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I went into work and didn't even do work. I went in and immediately wrote an email to you asking you to come on the podcast and telling you I was going to order your other book, Ghosts of Science Past. Yeah. And uh, I really wanted to have a conversation with you because I love everything you wrote, but A Letter to Joe, I think, has a special place in all of your work. One, because it, it was your first thing you ever yeah, wrote. Yeah, that's right. And then two, just because obviously how deeply personal it is, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, again, thank you so much. That's awesome um absolutely to hear and um obviously uh you guys are both creatives yourself so um how you you talked about just always giving people a chance when they're putting themselves out there um i can tell that you know you've done that yourself because um most people don't think like that i think you know like um you see somebody set up with something and most people just kind of don't even look at the person you know they just kind of breeze by uh, and go on their way. So um, that's definitely super cool of you. And I'm, I'm glad um, that you connected with um, our stuff so so much there. So that's awesome to hear. 
Um, yeah, Letter to Joe was uh, my first published book. Um, and um, like you mentioned, Dakota, it is a, uh, a very personal story for me because it is a book that is essentially about my grandparents. Um, uh, the titular uh, Joe is Josephine, who is my grandmother, and the letter um, is a letter that my grandfather uh, wrote her uh, towards the end of World War II. Um, he had wrote her a number of letters before that, but um, due to censorship, um, they didn't want uh, the enemy gaining any sort of information from the field. Uh, he was fairly limited in what he could say to her, and so at the end, he was really able to fully detail his experience, um, and that allowed him to really open up and uh, what Kelly Williams and I did is we essentially crafted a narrative around that, um, including my grandfather's own words uh, in the story itself. Uh, and yeah, that was my that was my first published work um, and uh, my first time actually working with Kelly. Um, we really hit it off, uh, kind of grew a friendship out of that. Uh, we would talk a lot. Um, we would um, like play games. He's a big gamer. Oh, really? Um, yeah, big time gamer. Uh, and I, I play games too as well. Um, so we kind of connected on that too. Um, and just started talking about we would, would definitely like to do another project together. Um, meanwhile, and I'm writing some other things. Um, but what was unique about um, Captain Suave is I knew from the start, as soon as I got that idea, this was what Kelly and I were going to do next. Um, so I was able to entirely write that series uh, from the start, collaborating with Kelly and um, even like picturing the scenes and everything. Like I always had his art 100% in mind. So uh, that was really cool. I didn't, uh, know Kelly when I had first uh, written a letter to Joe. We uh, actually hooked up through an editor, um, and it just worked out really, really nicely. Uh, but this, I, I mean, I had Kelly in mind from the very start, so um, I, I think it really shows in the work, um, just just the amount, massive amount of collaboration that we had on that one. And um, by the way, I guess I should mention, too, um, The Life and Death of the Brave Captain Suave, uh, which is a five-issue series um, from Scout Comics, is essentially a modern take on Don Quixote, except it is a homeless man living in downtown Cleveland who believes himself a Golden Age superhero. So uh, that's what Dakota's talking about there when he mentions Thank you for doing Captain that. Suave. Yeah, I, I, I tend to just dive in in interviews and assume that the world knows everything that I know, so I appreciate you doing that uh, oh, totally. little pitch. And I also... Feel bad. I always shorten it to just Captain Suave. No, it's just it's a long title. Say, I know. You know, but it's what, a ridiculously the, long title. That is a great title. Though. It you is. You wouldn't want it to just be Captain Suave. It needs to be the whole thing. It's actually um, the title itself is an homage to. Um, so, I don't know how familiar you or your listeners would be with Don Quixote, but um, the uh, Cervantes classic is actually a very metatextual um, book itself. Mm -hmm. I. Uh, in reading it, felt like it was really before its time. And um, there's a part of the book where Don Quixote's exploits are actually like novelized by the actual author, and that's in the actual book. Um, and the title of that book in the novel 
is um, very similar to the life and death of the brave Captain Suave. So that's that's an homage uh, directly to Don Quixote there. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. One thing I wanted to ask was like, <clears throat> so that what what inspired initially Captain Suave? So I first got the idea when I was um, reading a book um, that also has a very long title, so I want to make sure I get it right. Um, it was the amazing. I think it's the Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay. Have you guys heard of it? No. no. So it's a um, it's a fictional novel, um, and it's essentially about uh, two kids who, um, right around um, the time that superheroes are starting to take off, like Golden Age comics, um, they start to develop their own superhero, um, and. It's kind of like a, it's kind of like a spin on uh, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, the uh, creators of Superman, um, and a kind of like a novelization of that. Um, so I was reading that, and um, this idea of um, a golden age superhero kind of got stuck in my head there, and then um, I was. I don't know, somewhere along the lines, um, I got kind of fixated on Don Quixote as well. Um, and then I just kind of brought those two things together, and that was kind of the uh, genesis of Captain Suave there, those two things. Okay, because it's... Yeah. I, I like how with with like with a, f- a few of your works, you combine the kind of story structure of that kind of archetypal, like, Campbellian, like, uh, circle of a story, like... With the, with Don Quixote and that, and with mm-hmm. uh, the ghost of science, past and future, and um, yeah. forgetting the full name of the book, help me out, Coda. A letter to Joe? No, not letter to Joe. The ghost, science ghost, science ghost, ghost, ghost of science past. Ghost of science past. Okay. You added it in an extra. You added in part. There, yeah. You I made it longer. But <laughs> but it hits it hits all the it hits all the like you know what I mean and like that's a cool as far as a creative like endeavor to take a structure like that. And recreate it and make it your own. Yeah, is one I I gotta imagine like a really good writing exercise for yourself and a really good way to tell a narrative, even if it's not clear cut that you're referring to that stru- or that story. Right. It. Yeah. I I'm a, I'm just a I'm a big fan of the classics in general. Um, I um enjoy reading a lot of classic yeah. literature. Um, my wife often makes fun of me for it. <laughs> She's like. Like, why are you reading that? It's so boring. Because she she was an English major in college. I was gonna say I thought she had a literature background. Yeah, so she's she was like <laughs> she's like I know this. Sucks. She's like, like I <laughs> had to read this. Why are you reading this for fun? Yeah. I'm like well, I enjoy it. I really I really like it. Um, so yeah, that's that's definitely a big influence for me. And then okay. incorporating some of those um, things into stories. Yeah, it's just it feels natural. I mean, I feel like every writer steals a little bit. So if you're going to steal, then Steal from the best, right? Right. Well, I mean, any creative endeavor is nodding to what was before, sure. modding it. Like I, the ideally, uh, the ideal steal, the idea of stealing anything, I think is like it's not that. It, it can only come off the shoulders of giants. Sure. Totally. And like, but so, were you always in the like? When did you get into like writing? Like, the kind of like before even it becomes comic book writing, were you re- making comics as a kid? Like. Um, I was a huge comic book fan as a kid. Yeah. Um, you know, I pro- were probably were you a Spider Man fan. I was a big Spider Man fan. Yeah, yeah, that was probably was my number one book actually. Um, <laughs> I could tell from Captain Suave. <laughs> <laughs> I um, 
And I, the funny thing is too, like I, I was never able to like sequentially follow stories. I would just grab whatever I could. And, um, when you're a kid, that's yeah, how it is. Yeah. That's how it was. Like, yeah. ba- I mean, back then, like you used to be able to like, they used to have the racks at the, like the grocery store mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know, your mom would be grocery shopping or even like the gas station. Yeah. And yeah. you just pick up a random issue here and there. You didn't really know what was going on around it, but it, it didn't matter. Um, I think one of the first sequential stories I was able to put together was um, uh, the uh, carnage story. Um, Maximum carnage? Yeah. Wow, that's like 42 issues or something crazy. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, maybe I didn't get all of it, but the I remember the guys at the comic book shop were kind of helping me along and um, trying to get some of those issues. Very cool. Um, even before that, though, I would say... Um, like early elementary school, just reading like Calvin and Hobbes, okay. um, nice. picking up those like hardbacks yeah. from the library um, and just diving into those. Um, so I, I became a really big comic fan early on. I, I imagine most comic creators are um, kind of fell off of it. Uh, high school, college. Um, and then I had this professor in college who he was a poli sci professor and Part of the required reading was Transmetropolitan, uh, a trade paperback of that. You guys familiar with that book? So it was a, a, a Vertigo book. Um, it was kind of this like uh, sci-fi political um, type book um, that he incorporated into the class. Uh, it's uh, uh, Warren Ellis and Derek Robertson was oh. the artist on it. Um and I hadn't read comics in a while, and it blew my mind. Like you didn't realize there was that that kind of kind comics. Of yeah, like I I'd never even heard of Vertigo before. Um, so I'm reading this in college and having not read a comic probably since like middle school, and I'm like, wow, I didn't know comics could be like this. Um, so I probably didn't like dive hard back into comics at that point because I'm still in college. I don't have money. There's no comic book shops around there or anything. Uh, but after college, then I started just tearing through like, um, you know, Alan Moore, Neil Gaiman, um, the classics, as cl- you say. saga swamp thing, like all that. Well, really, kind of I stuff. guess you could yeah. say that's like the second or third generation classics of comics. Yeah, you know? I've I've circled back around to like Kirby and, and that kind of stuff. But what really, really got me back into comics was. Um, some of that like late 80s Watchmen and stuff like that um, and just going back through that. So really, I've it's I've experienced that stuff as a well, I was like early to mid 20s. Um, and then I've just been deep into comics uh, since that. And then at some point I got it in my head. You know what? I kind of want to give this a shot. Um, so I started messing around doing a little bit of writing. Um, none of it very good. Um, and, you know, talking to some artists and I quickly realized that if I'm going to invest my time, um, and tell a story, it's gotta be something that means something to me. It can't just be some like half cocked idea, um, that's, you know, run of the mill that, um, that's just gonna not really have any personal meaning to me. Um, and I was reading, um, I had come across Persepolis. Have you guys read that one? No, I haven't read it, but I've heard of it. Yeah, so Persepolis is a um, phenomenal graphic novel um, that I 
highly recommend you guys check out. It's a uh, autobiographical uh, graphic novel uh, about a young girl, I believe, growing up in. I hope I'm not getting this wrong. I believe it was Iran, um, and it it also kind of got me thinking along the lines of how you could tell these like personal type stories uh, through the medium. And I started thinking about my own story, and it reminded me of um, a letter that my uh, grandmother had given me that was the um, genesis of a letter to Joe. Um, I pulled that back out, and I was reading it, and I hadn't read it in a while. Um, I remember at the time when I first read it, I was kind of blown away by it. And rereading it, I was uh, equally as as, uh, astounded by it, and I started getting the wheels turning on, okay, well, maybe I could do something with this. Maybe I could tell my grandfather's story um, and honor him and my grandmother in that way. So that felt like the right thing where is something that, you know, I could really like double down on. And if I put my time and effort into this um, and telling that story, even if it didn't work out, even if it didn't end up getting published, I would still have this amazing thing that I cared about and I'd be okay with that. Um, as it happened, um, I had done a, uh, I think it was a series of like four or five pages, uh, pitch pages, uh, not with Kelly, actually. It was with um, another artist. Um, who the one who did the pinup? Uh, no. The one that did the um, pinup is actually at the end of A Letter to Joe. Uh, that's R.M. Guerra. He did Scalped. Oh, you know, that's so crazy you mentioned that. I just read a book by him. The last book I read was, I'm pretty sure it was him. The, uh, the Jason Aaron yes, book? Yes, the Jason Aaron book, The Goddamned Virgin yes. Brides. Yeah. I just read that like three yep. days ago. Yeah, he, he and uh, Jason Aaron also did Scalp. That's their Yeah, yeah, I have the one. trade. Of, our drummer bought me the trade of that for like Christmas or something one year. Have you read I it I haven't yet? read it yet. It's in oh, file. it's so good. Scalp, yeah. you like it? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was he was all gung ho about it. It is so good. I've heard a lot of good yeah. things about. It. He also gave me uh, what's Southern Bastards. Yep, because he knows I'm a big Jason Aaron Thor fan. Yeah, and I got these guys hip to that, so he's been giving me Jason Aaron's creator own stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. Scalped is that's crazy. I, I didn't know that me. was him. Like I knew his I knew his name, but I didn't yeah. like make those that connection. So um, originally. Um, I was given the advice of before we had a publisher directly attached that um, somebody gave me the advice of you want to go out and get a um, big name cover artist. So uh, I reached out to RM and um, I mentioned the project. He was interested in it. Um, so he was like, yeah, this, this sounds interesting. I would uh, be interested in doing that. So he uh, did a cover for it. And um, with the other artists, we had the five pitch pages. Sent that along to um, Chris Steros, is the editor in chief at Top Shelf. He said, "I'm interested in this. I need to see more." Um, so, I'm like, okay, let's do this. Um, now that artist did not end up working out. The one that was doing the interiors for that, um, he had some personal issues, and then that's when um, the editor suggested Kelly, and then. The ball was kind of rolling from there. Um, Top Shelf wanted Kelly, however, to do his own cover for the book, which is why RM's original cover ended up being featured in the back of the book mm-hmm. as that 
uh, pen up, but you need to go home and re-scalp now, I think. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> it's so good. Well, I will say, um, whoever that editor is, what did you say their name was? Uh, Christeros. Genius, because <laughs> nobody else in the world should have drawn a letter to Joe besides Kelly Williams. Like, he really, you, earlier you mentioned, uh, you said that you got together adapted the letter into, I, I really like how you said that because most writers could easily say like I adapted it, but Kelly was so important to that storytelling oh, yeah. and like the way he uses the, the water, there's not very many, if any comic book artists that I know of that use watercolors. I can think of a couple. Yeah. Um, like you don't really see it very often, yeah, but you do not see it often. And you're it, right. It, it, it get, I think it, it's it's great for Captain Suave in the in the parts where he uses it, but I think it's very very important to a letter to Joe. Yeah, the tone, like the background tones are almost as important as the the faces. Sure. You know? Yeah, he did, he. So Kelly, um, he's primarily, and he would be the first one to tell you he is a horror artist. Um, that's kind of that's his, why I had him draw that card. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> he's that's his background. Um, it's really his passion. So he was definitely stepping in outside of his comfort zone a little bit on this book. But at the same time, what is war if not horror, right? Um, and, and, and what is horror if not emotion? Yeah. You know what I mean? He, his, his best quality in his art, in my opinion, is his ability to emote. Totally which is agree. what you need for horror. Yes. You know, some, some people might um, refer to Kelly's artwork as a little bit on the cartoony side. And yeah, okay, I can see that. But you're, I, I think you're hitting the nail on the head. The uh, emotion that he's able to convey uh, in the characters is incredible. And uh, as soon as I saw, um, he did a, um, like a sample page for it. As soon as I saw that, I was like, yeah, this is the guy. Um, and through those watercolors, like, um, it's subtle, um, but he purposefully... Um, switch to a darker palette as the story progresses to kind of mirror the uh, deterioration um, of Leonard himself as he's um, going through the war and the kind of the deterioration that he was feeling. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I can't say enough good things about Kelly. He, he just absolutely killed it. And then on Captain Suave, he does some pretty cool stuff as well. Um, he mixes, and you know this because you've seen the and have um, some original art pages from this. Um, it's kind of weird. He does on the same page um, because Captain Suave deals with reality and fantasy uh, of what's going on in uh, the protagonist's head versus what's actually happening um, in the real world. In the real world, Kelly's using his traditional pencil, ink, and watercolors. Whereas uh, in this fantasy that's playing out in his head of him being this golden age superhero, he's digitally coloring those pages uh, and he's using kind of this like old school dot patterning, uh, patterning, yes. yeah, to kind of look like a golden age superhero. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very cool, especially when you see, like you said, the original art. Like I said about when I met him at C2E2, I flipped through all the pages and I was fanboying out. I started telling him stories about things on the pages like um mm. like for example in issue one when they go to the rock call yeah and he, he lives in that little nook yeah behind the rock hall that's a very important place to me because i've met so many musicians back there 
Oh, yeah. The first concert I ever went to, I was six years old. It was at the Rock Hall, and I was seeing the band Stained. I don't know if you remember. Yeah, I remember Stained. So um, we went back to that nook, and I met Stained that night when I was six years old at my first concert. (laughs) The first band I saw in Captain Suave's bedroom. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm telling all this to Kelly. And I'm like, you, you, I'm like, you drew, draw it so well. You must be, you must be from Cleveland. Yeah. He's like, no, never been. I'm like, uh, oh, you, you've been, you've been to Cleveland though, right? You draw it so, no, never been there. I'm like, what? what? I know. Oh, yeah. So he said you sent him a lot of references. A lot of reference. Yeah. So basically we, the city um, itself, I think is almost like a character in the book. Uh, totally. You talk about that in the, or actually it's not you in the, Brad Ricca. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that was the first that was the first thing I actually read, and I thought that was you at first. And I'm reading it, and I'm like, wow, this guy's got a great way with words. <laughs> and then at the end, it said it was by someone else. Yeah. And Brett- he, even some of that stuff, I didn't I didn't even know. Like, I knew Superman was created in Cleveland. Right. But I didn't know that, like, it was originally set in Cleveland. I've never read yeah. the early Superman issues. Yeah, like, um, so in the library, they have a whole, like, exhibit. Mm-hmm. To to Superman. Yep, the downtown library. Yeah, 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 where Hope works, and they have the dude's like desk, mm-hmm. and like I forget where I heard the story, but the sto- the the story itself is really interesting. These two Jewish guys who yeah. got suppressed made this guy that can overcome it, which makes Superman so much cooler, right? You know what I mean? And like, so when I read the Ash Cannon, I didn't I didn't know that it was based on Cleveland either. Like that was really cool, and like, yeah, and I was so that whole time I thought. Reading through the the um, the miniseries or the the first run, which because there's gonna be more, yeah, mm, you most likely, most likely, okay. <laughs> yeah. um, we will make. I it. was setting up the plug and I, Ali missed, but like, um, but like I thought it, so much of that was kind of like a love letter to that. So who's Brad Ricca? So Brad Ricca is a um, he's a local author. Um, he, the, I gotta get a hold of his stuff. So yeah, well. So he um, he primarily does these like um, historical half fiction novels, and the one that turned me on to him, and this was like right after I had um, read the Amazing Adventures of um, Cavalier and Clay, and I um, saw that it was based on Joe Shuster and Jerry Siegel. I'm like, well, I need to read more about them. So I uh, picked up his book, Brad Ricka's book, uh, Super Boys where he tells the story of Joe Schuster and Jerry Siegel. So is that an excerpt from that? Uh, no, he actually, um, so I, I had reached out to him, um, sent him uh, like the first couple issues of Captain Suave or something like that. I'm like, would you want to maybe do like an, an introduction or something? And he was like, yeah, totally. Um, so he had wrote that piece that's at the beginning of the action. And this, by the way, uh, will be featured in the trade paperback that will be coming out soon. Um, specifically for Captain Suave. Um, Brad Ricca, actually, um, he's a big comics fan as well, um, which you might imagine if he wrote a book on Joe Schuster and Jerry Siegel, he might be. But um, he he's long been talking about dipping his toes into comics, and he did a, um, a graphic novel called Ten Days in a Madhouse, um, which is about... Um, Sounds similar to Captain Swab. No, it's not. Not like <laughs> this one's an actual. Well, okay, yes, Captain Swab's kind of mad himself, but um, this is a true story because again, he kind of does these like historical fiction. Um, it was about, um, I believe, the woman's name is Nellie Bly, 
and she was a reporter who posed as a um, quote-unquote insane person to gain access to an insane asylum. And then the purpose of this is um, to report on how they were treating the patients and how they were like grossly mistreated and really, frankly, abused. Um, But then she kind of got like stuck there. Um, She couldn't like get herself out. Um, And this is, he he did a graphic novel with... um, Courtney, that's yeah, kind of. You know, it's um, funny you mentioned that. I'm reading. Uh, I'm currently reading. Um, uh, sometimes, good uh, notion um, by that same author. Uh, but Courtney, um, I'm probably saying her name wrong. Sai or Say is the illustrator on that, and they actually um, got nominated for an Eisner on that book. Wow. So he was just at San Diego Comic Con. That's uh, impressive month or two, book, yeah, right? his yeah. first comic, but he's written other books, but yeah, true, true. But, but right still, out of the bat, he got a. Still, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, pretty impressive indeed. But uh, Brad, Brad's a great, great guy. He is local, um, so I definitely recommend checking really his books out. I really want to check that out. That's an intriguing because I've always, I've always thought about that. Like, yeah, and it, a more sillier version would be like Good Burger, you know. <laughs> <laughs> George Clinton's there. <laughs> yeah. It's a good time. But, yeah. But it's the same concept. They're not crazy. They end up in them and they have to break out. You know what I mean? Her, I've yeah. always thought about that type of scenario. Courtney's art is really cool in it, too. She does, um, I, I would say it's fairly realistic, but she's got such a precise line. Um, it's it's very interesting. Uh, she does like a, a lot of like uh, cross hatching and stuff like that. I think it's all black and white, um, but it was really, really good. So. I should have brought that one. What I find interesting about that kind of like line of sanity and insanity, which is it's it's weird. And now that I'm saying the word insanity, it's like inward. Um, But how kind of close that is. And I think Captain Suave does a really good job of like, here's this person who has these like this whole in inner world going on. And how the outer world slowly kind of accepts this guy and then eventually depends on him at one point yeah. you know in multiple scenarios because there's so much of that that's going on and like how society accepts and embraces that is a really heavy topic it is and like to kind of like where you went with captain suave i think is is kind of going to a conversation we had a little bit earlier like looking more into a thing as opposed to being like ah, you know no, I don't have any money, sir. Like, I'd <laughs> yeah. stop. I don't want to hear that song. Um, but is that something you kind of like? I, 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 we kind of already talked about the inspiration from that, but yeah. when you started to write this character, is that like something you thought more about? Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, so part of um, writing Captain Suave is I started reading um, a lot of books on homelessness mm-hmm. and kind of wrapping my head around um, poverty and homelessness here uh, in the U.S. and understanding that better because uh, it's not something that I'm super familiar with. Um, and, yeah, you know, the, these these people um, have stories. And uh, kind of like you said, um, it's so easy just to, you know, walk by uh, and not pay any notice. Uh, but in our story, uh Captain Suave, I mean, he's out there and he's ultimately just 
trying to do good. And more and more people start to be kind of like pulled into his sphere. Um, and he's not so invisible anymore. So yeah, that's definitely something that, um, that we thought about, um, going in right off the bat. And, um, it was one of the things that I think actually really attracted Kelly, uh, to the story and the idea. Um, he was big on that aspect. That's, it's like, uh, because that's kind of every like I work in places like I do nursing home gigs, so mm-hmm. you meet a lot of these people that are kind of in their own thing for a while. Yeah. Or even at the gallery, like people just come in and be like, "There's the dragon," and you're like, "Okay," <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and like there's like a certain amount of like silliness you just gotta accept, and then you kind of the, like you, you get more into it, and you start to see the person past the fantasy. Yeah. So as part of your process with like because if if a letter to Joe was like your first kind of like real script, you felt you had something within you to share yeah. like, or, or story like is part of the process for something like Captain Suave and other novels. Like is, is that research that diving into multiple like outlets and reading more about perce- uh, like different perceptions of all this. Is that like a thing to make it that personal? Is that like a, like oh, yeah. a process I found that the more um, I'm digging into a topic, um, the I t- I can feel that I'm I'm onto something. You know, like um, with a letter to Joe, I read countless uh, World War II memoirs. <laughs> yeah, I suddenly became that guy. Um, <laughs> where <laughs> now that's my that's my persona. Now I yeah. read World War II, uh, you know, books and memoirs, and but I just got deep into that because. The thing with um, Leonard is while he he details his um, story well in his letter, I mean, mm-hmm. I thought I actually think he was a very good writer himself, though he never poem, pursued it in any the way. Poem is absolutely incredible. It's yeah. So yeah, yeah we have a um, uh, a poem that he had written uh, while overseas at the back of the book, and then in, we had another artist, uh, Brett Carville, um, actually illustrate it. Um, but yeah, he was, he was an excellent writer in his own right. Um, and I think, I think he had those creative bones in him. He just never really pursued them. I think he got a family, um, and had to get a job, um, as many people do. Um, but yeah, going deep into those, uh, World War II memoirs helped me better understand some of the personal interactions that soldiers have with one another. Cause I've never been in the military myself and he, and I think this is kind of purposefully, um, didn't really talk about that in his own letter. I think maybe it was hard for him. Um, so that, that was part of my um, research, just better understanding that aspect, uh, for captain suave, it was, uh, better understanding homelessness and mental illness, um, a little bit. Um, and then, uh, with, Ghosts of Science Past, uh, which we haven't really talked about much. You already had all that <laughs> well, down. <laughs> well, I, I had I had read uh, Christmas Carol, uh, of course, and the structure um, of Ghosts of Science Past pretty much uh, follows Dickens's. Uh, I don't know if that's a word. Dickens's, yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, um, yeah, I'm a, I'm also a high school science teacher, so in terms of the science, uh, that was good. But I did. Um, read uh, a lot of 
autobiographical books about the scientists in there, uh, particularly some of the lesser known scientists like Ernest Epperson Justice is featured in this. He's kind of um, uh, the forgotten father of um, genetics. So I didn't really know much about him. Um, but as I read about him, I'm like, he absolutely needs to be in this book. So yeah. even that one, um, although I was familiar with the science itself and uh, the classic Christmas Carol, um, I, I had to do some research about the individual scientists. Was it? Well, that's it's it, I th- it's really interesting because like with like that whole like being that World War Two guy and finding these things like. Do you, like, find yourself going down a rabbit hole before you have, like, a script? Like, I'm just reading a bunch of things I'm interested yes. in. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Is there, is there like, what's the kind of current? So uh, it, I guess it sparks with the idea. Um, so I'll get a general idea for a topic. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll, I'll kind of, like, write things down um, in a document of things that I'm thinking about, Um not like a structured outline of any sort, but just like story ideas and stuff like that. Um, and then that leads me to um, other books or research. Uh, and then as I'm doing those, I'll take extensive notes, um, just writing down anything from the books that I feel like I could use, um, things that I can incorporate into the book. Um, sometimes that might lead to just like, I'll write random dialogue Um that may fit somewhere, may not fit somewhere, may transform in some way, um, but could potentially be included somewhere along the lines. And then from there, once I have that, um, then I start to structure the story and then I start to get into actual scripting. Okay. Yeah. Because like dialogue is like one of those things that can, can seem real forced, you know? (laughs) And like, and like they say with writing, it's you want to show, not tell. Sure. And like, especially to, to, in comics. Right. Well, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Of course. You know, but to be able to do that, like, I think that's such like a, you have to gain so much insight from that thing. If it's not just a direct experience you had to refer to, you have to get all these different sources. And if you're diving back to like World War Two or like uh, the streets of Cleveland, like there's certain terms that are thrown around. There's jargon that me, everyone mm-hmm. from there knows. And that's natural. And there's a natural cadence to that. That only comes from either knowing it or doing that. Yeah. Like, or doing that as in the research. Yeah. That was one of the things that, um, really, um, I struggled with a little bit in the beginning of writing a letter to Joe. Like yeah. how did, you know, 18, 20 year olds, talk back in the you know 40s i had no idea um so reading um all of those other uh memoirs you know jotting down things like what would they call this what would they call that um and then even just like getting the military lingo down as well because again never been in the military i don't know i didn't know anything about like tanks or guns or anything like that so that was super important um to get that right but then like you said it's a visual medium so kelly in his own right had to do a ton of his own research to well what did these guns look like what did these tanks look like i gotta make sure i'm using the right one for you know this area um and then likewise he, like you said, he, uh, Dakota, he hasn't been to Cleveland, so <laughs> he doesn't know what the back of the Rock yeah. Hall looks like. He never met Stained. Um, <laughs> you mean piss stained? <laughs> I'm gonna the next time I see him, I'm gonna be like, "Can you draw 
singer from Stained in, in the background. You know what? He'll find a way to do <laughs> it. To, with, a, with a young me? Yeah. yeah. Like, that's, that's the album cover for your solo album. And he absolutely would kill it, too, by the way. But... <laughs> Yeah, just stained by rock and roll. The <laughs> kind of Michael Crow story. Oh, don't ever <laughs> <laughs> um, one more question on that. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. I'll turn it over. Um, so, out, out of that research, especially, did you, with the World War II memoirs, did you kind of notice uh, a dimming of the light through these like letters? I mean, I guess if certain things couldn't be said, yeah. right? But like, it's interesting that Kelly illustrated that. Like, yeah, and through the novel, how it gets darker and slowly because someone who go anyone who goes through anything like that loses some of that brightness. Like, and, yeah. And uh, with all our grandparents and our elders that we meet have gone through that, you you feel that. But also, it's just kind of them too to you. you yeah. Know? But like through these memoirs, did you kind of see a trend of that? I don't think so, necessarily. Um, not in the ones that I was reading anyway. But it's something that I recognized um, in my grandfather and in his letter. And it's something that um, Kelly and I um, explicitly discussed early on, that how we wanted the tone to kind of gradually change through the story. So, no, I don't think I necessarily saw it in other people's writing, but I definitely saw it in my grandfather's. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a beautiful way to show, not tell, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. That, that's like, that's a real cool... Well, the other thing, too, is we didn't want to, and this was important to us as well, we didn't want to romanticize it. Yeah. Um, That's what I think is so good about it. It's like the romance is the is the romance. Right. Like between Joe and Leonard. And I almost think that that's the real story of the book, but it's told through this lens of the war, and you don't romanticize the war, the only romance part is the romance. Yeah, that's something that I also realized um, uh, pretty quickly is in order for that to work, for that story, um, I think to fully connect is we uh, and I had to be as honest as possible. And um, I think that if we had tried to like sensationalize anything, uh, it wouldn't have rang true and... Uh, it would it just wouldn't have worked. Wouldn't have been as impactful, and uh, frankly, it, it wouldn't have done my grandfather justice. And that was uh, important to both of us from the start of the project. Can I ask one more question before you go in? Sure. Okay. <laughs> Dave's done his classic thing where he sweeps the rug. Right <laughs> sorry. Was <laughs> well, it Cody? Cody gets a real, real well uh, plan of attack. Um, can, after doing this, how did your family members react to this uh, once it's published like what was their initial reaction so i um my uh parents um were both um very struck by it and um uh, i know my my dad uh sat down and read it a couple times it's, yeah. it's his parents yeah um and uh he I think he kind of felt how I felt about it, that it was um, a fitting tribute uh, to his father and his parents. Uh, he's actually got a, a big piece of original art from it hanging on their mantle from oh, with Kelly's yeah. watercolors on there of his... Uh, I think it's the one um, where they uh, embrace at the end. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Mm. Um, 
he makes well obviously he has to make it through the war yeah that's not this one, that's one of the other things I love about the book is I, I hope you take this respectfully but sure at a certain point in your in the book you're he's he's almost like the Punisher <laughs> the like like not okay. not in a mean way I just mean yeah, in a yeah, way yeah. of like when you read the Punisher you're like this guy's gotta die like how is he not he, uh, yeah you I know mean, what I mean like how has he survived this much this happens this happens it's just a certain point you're like taken aback by just how much he's 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 been through in that way and i think that's what frames the book in a really interesting way cuz like you said in the beginning you know he lives right because for you to live i wouldn't be, yeah wouldn't he be here if he yeah and if he you hadn't you say it in the in the uh prologue of the yeah. book but um even with all that as you're reading the book you're kind of just like waiting for that moment yeah. you know yeah. like so, yeah, I mean, when I was a kid, um, my grandfather never talked about action uh, whatsoever. And I was fascinated um, by um, the fact that he had been in the war. Um, he would uh, allow me to, like, play with his medals and stuff like that. Um, but I had no idea what he actually did overseas. Uh, it wasn't until he had passed away that my grandmother had given me that letter and I read it and I'm like, holy, I had no idea. Yeah, no idea whatsoever. Um, and I, by the way, uh, he left me all that stuff. So that was really special as well. I have all those medals now um, that, that he allowed me to keep. So that was special. But yeah, I, I com- I'm completely on the same page with you. I, I had absolutely no idea that t- entirely floored me um the uh, the amount that he was able yeah, I to i didn't mean to say that he's like br- brutally okay yeah, everyone, yeah, yeah like yeah, the yeah. punisher i just meant like the, if you watch an episode of the punisher or read a punisher issue, yeah you're like he is through the ring yeah like, this guy's been through th- he's seen things yeah. it definitely unlike the punisher though it definitely took its toll totally yeah totally. um so jumping into that book on the first page we see Cedar Lee Theater. Mm-hmm. I was just curious that what that theater means to you or to them, or, or um, you know, why <laughs> you include, or was that just a thing to Honestly, establish the area? More of an establishing shot. Um, I started to search for pictures of Cleveland um, around the brink of the war, and one of the ones that popped up that I thought would be pretty recognizable uh, was. The Cedar Lee and that huh. um, marquee that you see on there uh, was an actual marquee taken from a photograph. And I thought, well, this is perfect. Uh, so just kind of like setting uh, the scene as well as the time period. Um, that was just the main purpose of that. Very cool. Yeah. Um, similar vein. A few pages later. Can't remember what page, but uh, they go to a park mm-hmm. and he meant they mentioned just like how special the park is to them i was just curious if you if there was a specific park or that was just kind of a not i don't know of a specific park but i asked my um my father um like what were some things you know that they like to do together because again um you know i i remember my grand my grandfather died when i was uh relatively young um so i i remember him as a kid and as a kid you don't really ask those types of questions. Like, what do you yeah. grandma like to do in your free time? Yeah, yeah. You know, when you're a kid, it's just about you whenever you're with them, right? Even as an adult, that <laughs> can be a hard question. Yeah. Because 
men don't really talk about stuff no. like that, especially older men, you know. And yeah, you don't don't think about those kinds of things. So I asked my dad, like, what kind of stuff would they they do together, like when they were on their own? And he said one of the things that they would like to do is, you know, go on these walks in the park. So while I don't know of any specific park in the area that they would visit, I just know that that's something that they would do regularly, um, and that's why we wanted to include that in there. Um, I think the the book is so cinematic, and I really think. I mean, maybe it maybe it sounds corny or whatever, but I really do think it would make an amazing film. And I'm just curious if you had like a favorite. You mentioned that you were reading crazy amount of World War II novels. I'm sure you mm-hmm. watched some films too. Sure. Do you have like a favorite novel or film from that time period? Um. Okay. So, favorite film, mm, maybe Saving Private Ryan. Um, that's a uh, pretty incredible movie and they did an amazing job just um especially that um the D-Day scene just depicting the pure chaos and um disorder of war um, did an amazing job at that too like yeah. and that that yeah. for me in the book was kind of the moment where it like really hit where I was like he's been through everything like yeah and then in terms of um Favorite World War II book, maybe The Longest Day uh, by Ryan Cornelius. Um, it's a cool book that shows like lots of different aspects um, and different sides of war. So it doesn't just focus on the soldiers. It also looks at both sides um, as well as civilians. Cool. Um, so that's one to check out, I think. Yeah, that's, that was the thing. Like with re, with, for, for Captain Suave... It was easy for me to jump in because I've always one. I'm from Cleveland, and the book is a, it's really focused around Cleveland. And then two, I've always had a passion for helping homeless people. Yeah. And and just and like you said, just researching the concept of homelessness and kind of just dwelling on like that. So for me, getting into Captain Swab was kind of very easy. Whereas a letter to Joe, I'm I've never been a fan of war stories. Yeah. My grandpa always made me watch war documentaries when I was a kid and I've never got same same with Ghosts of Science Past too. I've science was my worst subject <laughs> in school. Getting in going into both of those books, I was kind of weary of like this might not be for me. Yeah. But you do a really amazing job of pulling the re especially with Ghosts of Science Past, of pulling the reader in and like kind of establishing that it's not going to be your typical war story it's not going to be your typical science story yeah framing it in a a unique lens that makes it it makes it enticing for the reader even if it's something you're not really into well thank you right that's a huge compliment i appreciate that um with with ghosts of science past um i I mentioned before i am also a high school science teacher um i tried to pick topics that traditionally my students um, struggle with that they have difficulty with and t- uh, teach these things in ways that are easily relatable but also fun um, that was that was something that throughout that book um, myself and um, the co-creator and artist on that one Jesse Lonergan uh, we worked on was making the book fun um, so try to put as many like visual gags and jokes and, um, like story elements to kind of string the leader, uh, reader along. And I figured, Hey, if we're doing our job right, 
you know, people will read this and they'll learn something without necessarily thinking about it. You're just kind of reading the story, right? Um, and I, I, I've, I've actually been using that book um, as kind of a companion to my textbook in my own science classes, yeah. and it's been working pretty well. So <laughs> that's yeah. The, and okay, can you the, dive into that a little bit? I'm curious. So yeah. Dave's yeah. a teacher as well. You right, know, right. I'm not a teacher. They wouldn't um, let me around. I <laughs> start telling them crazy things. Well, especially if you're just uh, going to work reading comics. That's what I mean. <laughs> yeah. I, I, that'd be my first lesson. Don't well, no, don't go to work to work. <laughs> But I, it's actually a I beautiful you, lesson. Like I, I, I can philosophize around that. <laughs> I hear you say you in, integrate that into your class, and I'm just very curious how that works. So, he goes to work and reads comics. Yeah, that's... <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, okay, I <laughs> but I have excuses, right? Like <laughs> We're doing it for educational purposes. I need boss. to write a plumbing comic. Yeah, there you go. That's what it is. There you go. <laughs> yeah, but... Um, no, so it's like... Um, I've, I've actually introduced it. So we started um, school last week. Um, I've introduced uh, some of the characters um, and kids are going to start actually reading it on Monday. Um, but the way that uh, I integrated into the classes, we'll start learning about a certain topic um, and then we'll read like 10, 12 pages um, from the graphic novel. I have a class set. I don't make my students buy my book. <laughs> that would probably not go off too, too well. That, there might be uh, some uh, cross promotional yeah, errors right. there. Like. Uh, but um, so we'll we'll like read a section from the book from the class set. Um, you know, they'll have like some guided questions, some discussion questions, and stuff like that. Um, but then as as we're going into the topic, we'll, we'll read those parts of the book and just mm. kind of follow along side by side with that, and then. Uh, I have a, a number. Well, actually, um, there is a um, teacher's guide uh, that goes along with the book. It's online. It's for free. Dave's shaking his head like, yeah, that's the only thing that helps me. <laughs> but it's, yeah, so it's, you know, if educators or whoever wants it, I, I crafted like activities and stuff that goes along with it um, from that teaching guide and just started just trying them out and using them and um, I started doing this last year in my classes, and like I said, I think it worked out pretty well. So it's just textbooks are boring. Um, there's as <laughs> as they are, they're not fun to even, read. I'll go even further. If you made a comic book, yeah, that was the size of a textbook, sure, even that would be. <laughs> I guess I guess yeah. you could say like Watchmen is that. <laughs> well, you ever get one of those fat omnibuses that yes. like it hurts he to bought, like? <laughs> for my birthday, he bought me. The Kiss Omnibus. Okay. It's every Kiss comic ever. Yeah. It's the biggest. It's like this. Don't don't say it. It's, it's yeah. like three textbooks. It's yeah. so big. I didn't know where to put it in my house. It can be like, overwhelming, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've got a few of those. I've got um, the uh, Kirby uh, Fourth World stuff. That's a, that's a fat one. Yeah. Um, the uh, DC um, He-Man one. That's another fat one I have as well. But um. Yeah, but the t- textbooks, I mean, like, kids, it's not fun to read. Like, they, you can just see their eyes glossing over. So, you know, by pulling this out, hey, we're going to read some comics. Um, it it kind of gives you a little bit of a break from, from that, the rote textbook kind of reading. But, uh, again, it's fun, right? It's, there's, there's a lot of, like, jokes and stuff to kind of uh, temper some of, some of the uh, learning aspects. So, And one thing I think 
is super important with teaching, and that could be kids or adults or anybody. It's the power of like them finding the answer and the power of metaphor. Yeah. So even though like this is like a, a story structure we're familiar with, like if you read it and you discover where this one student goes from not caring and thinking no one cares about him to the opposite, which is, I mean, I, I don't, that's not a spoiler, is it? That's a, no. that's a good thing. That's a good yeah. thing. Yeah, it's a good thing. Um, to the opposite, right? You, you're following that, that metaphor and discovering it for yourself. And that's so cool too, like, cause all my classes are twisted to gauge these children in any way possible. Yeah. You know, it sounds like you need to grab some of those Z2 comics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And bring those, integrate those into Ba-boom. your class. You know what? Uh, so obviously I think, I think uh, comics is a graphic medium, um, but I think it's been totally underused uh, and utilized as an educational tool. Yeah. Um, because, you know, the way that you read a comic book is entirely different than the way you read a novel or a text or something like that. Um, you're so much more of an active participant in a comic um, and your ability to acquisition and acquire the information visually, I, I don't think can be overstated. I think um, there is a huge, huge market um, for comics as an educational resource. And I think um, for all students, I had all ranges, uh, you know, it's not just like your lower levels, yeah. but everybody um, can absolutely gain so much um, from them. So yeah, I would love to see comics used more regularly as an educational tool. Have you, uh, have you heard the series inter, uh, introducing, introducing series or introduction mm-hmm. series? No. It's like a small, they're like about 10 bucks a book. They're like 200 pages. I don't know why I'm trying to size it up. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we're getting caught up. On we're getting sizes caught up in sizes. Now. We talked yeah. about the kiss book and I was like, but anyway, they're like little 200 page books and they like will introduce like a philosophy theory or like uh, a science, but they're not like comic book comic books. Like they're graphic novels. Okay. Right. And they kind of show you and then like the, the information's good, but Mm -hmm. visually it's not as like engaged in that way. That's the closest thing I've found to like someone utilizing that, uh, uh, that technique to reach people. Yeah. And like if and I got a shit ton of those books. Like yeah. I read, I love them. But also I'm older than kids that don't need the visual like step by step thing, right? right I right. say you still need the visual. <laughs> I yeah, I still do. But like, uh, but you know what I mean. So a kid would pick that up and be like, "This is a boring comic." Yeah. You know, but I think that's a really good way to reach kids, and I think that it should be. Yeah. Should be more. Totally agree. Anyway, Cody, sorry. Um, yeah, we've, we've been bouncing around a little bit, but I had a few more like thoughts or questions on A Letter to Joe. Um, <coughs> one of my favorite panels is where he paints death on the gun. Oh, yeah. Is that... Um... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I know what so, you're talking about. That was one of the intriguing things in the book. So like, as I, as I was reading it, I, like, I knew that some of it was fictionalized. Yeah. You say it in the beginning, but also like you just know that there's no way you knew every detail. Sure. Yeah. So when I saw that panel of him 
naming his go- or he said he said uh, in the the letter text he says uh, I name my gun death because it's it was spitting death a lot or right. it spit a lot of death like yeah. wh- whatever the specific line was. I read that line and I was like, that is so badass. There's <laughs> no way he really wrote that in the letter. And then I got to the end of the book yep. and it was in the letter. Yeah, I was like, that was, oh. that was like the most mind blowing part of the whole book for me was like that he actually wrote that line and that his gun actually was called death. Yeah. Like, yeah. He's, I mean, it's a pretty metal thing uh, to, <laughs> to do right there. Um, but yeah, I guess I guess that wasn't uncommon of the uh, machine gunners to like name their gun. It was like an extension of them in many ways. Uh, but yeah, in the back of the book, um, you can there's a reproduction of the um, original letter, so you can read it without any of the um, narrative aspects that uh, that Kelly and I include there. And that's a that's that reminds me of something as well, like him like just painting that on there. Kelly does so much in terms of the storytelling um, in this book and really all. It is a small detail that I suppose you could yeah, overlook. But the way that he like paints these scenes and tells the story, like it, again, his, his contributions as a uh, co-creator and storyteller really absolutely cannot um, be overstated uh, because he just took a tremendous... Um, amount of the work upon himself to to tell this story i mean i i've sometimes been asked why tell this story um in a graphic medium why show show it as a comic book um and i don't think it's i think it's what made it so impactful um actually like setting these scenes and and showing what's going on around him like you said it just it's just it brings a whole different layer to it and it very well may have not been as impactful if it wasn't Kelly. If, if you I ended agree, up yeah. sticking with someone else or you went with, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think, it, th- I think this book, everything happened for a reason. You know what I mean? Your grandpa gave you those medals for a reason. You read the letter for a reason. Kelly came into, I think all that was kind of just like perfect way to make that book what it is. I, I appreciate that. And thank you for typing the letter out because when I first like I got to the letter and saw the cursive. I was like, yeah, so not going to be, a <laughs> I read like three words and my eyes were like burning. <laughs> so uh, the, the way that I understand that actually, so that, um, that like the letter, uh, the typewritten letter off of a typewriter, the way I understand it is, um, soldiers would handwrite letters. Cause I have a handwritten version as well, but then I have this old, old paper typewritten version is that um the soldiers would handwrite something and then it was transcribed and then it was transcribed by somebody else in the um unit or to whatever make sure that they were exactly oh, yeah, yeah. I gotcha. that makes sense well um jumping into captain suave we uh we talked about the ash can a little bit and then dave swept the rug out from under me and <laughs> trying to bounce around um in the ash can he captain suave sings a song yeah, and I pride myself on being able to f- research songs and find songs. <laughs> yeah, and I couldn't find this song. Is this a real song? 
So no, um, it's Do not it. a real song. Do it. I made up all the lyrics. However, <laughs> I did relentless Google searches. <laughs> however, um, it's funny that you asked that because there was a song that I wanted to use, but they wouldn't let me because of copyright. Mm. Um, the song that I wanted to use was a Beatles song. Um, I think it was Across the Universe. Okay. Great. Song. Um, yeah. You know what you say is that gobbledygook like. Gonna, what, what does he say? Oh yeah, um, the it's a some type of chant. It's it's a, weird, like a weird non-word, but it's like gotta uh, what something uh, like that. Yeah, no, it's it's a, it's a, yeah. There you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I've never. Um, I've always just made up words. Right. I have no idea what he's saying whatsoever. It's like a, it's a Hindu uh, chant. Oh, is it really? Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's I believe a George Harrison yeah. influence. Bit that of makes that. sense. Um, I remember. We have some we have some friends uh, as you can imagine doing music. We have some friends that are really into yoga. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's I I I recall doing yoga with some of our friends in a band that sings about the bus, um, and that that line was said as a thing. And okay. I can't remember the context off the top of my head, but it's something to do with that. So it's like. It's a nod of the hat, and well, I would imagine it's a George well, Harrison. So what bit. we're what we're gonna do now is me and Dave are gonna produce a beat <laughs> for you, yeah. and you can sing the song. Perfect. You can, yeah. can make it a real All right. song. <laughs> we did the Karmic Go theme, and now oh, we're yeah. gonna do the yeah, Captain nice. Swap. You can just use that song. <laughs> but that's so that's what that's the song that I had in mind for that, and then at the end where he's like um, under the bridge. Um, uh, and he's by himself. It was going to be um, kept keep repeating. Um, Nothing's going to change my world. Yeah. Um, and that was kind of the okay, the song yeah, that, that I had. That go- hits now. Right. Right. Yeah. But they would not let me use that. Um, I thought about just being um, uh, a bit Jagaru of Jagaru Deva. There you go. There, there you go. go. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Like changing some words. Well, that, I I basically took the structure of the song and then just started putting my own things in okay. there. Um, that kind of <laughs> fit with that general theme in there. Um, and then I, th- I thought I, I might be, um, funny to be a smart ass cause they said you can use like, um, you can reference the song, but you can't like directly write down the lyrics on mm. there. So I was going to put an editor's note in there to be listened and sung to the tune of the Lame. Beatles that across the very funny Cause I love all your editors. <laughs> yeah. So, but for some, I don't know, for whatever reason, I, again, I thought, I didn't think they would let that fly, but wasn't able to include that in there. But for your listeners, um, if, should you obtain the ash can or in the trade paperback, which the ash can will be reproduced in there, uh, please listen to the Beatles across the universe while listening to my, uh, reading my terrible lyrics. You heard it here. (laughs) (laughs) Editor's note. Yeah. Your life. (laughs) So... Jumping into the first issue of Captain Swab and the character of him, he has all these, uh, I guess you would call it like suavisms. Like one of my favorite ones I have written down is I exist between the worlds of nothing and everything. Or like right now, uh, my Facebook profile picture, I have the quote, um, let me see. In a world gone mad, the craziest of men is. <laughs> yeah. Do you have a favorite suavism? Oh man, I don't know. Or is there uh, maybe one that didn't make the book that you I think of? definitely have a whole bunch of dialogue that did not make the book. Um he um often speaks in um very like alliteratively, um kind of try to play off of 
um, that like campy kind of um, Adam West type Batman um, uh, with a lot of like the words starting with like the same letters and rhyming and things like that. Um, so that was that was definitely a lot of fun in um, writing him. But then, uh, like you said, then, then there's also he'll slip from this like goofiness to these moments of like lucidity where he's he says sometimes very real things and beautiful things. Um, I <laughs> I wasn't gonna go that far <laughs> because I wrote them and that would be weird for me to <laughs> to say that, but. Um, but but serious things. Um, so he bounces back and forth uh, between that, and that often confounds uh, a lot of the characters, particularly Stanley, around him. Of what is this guy? You can't you can't really like pinhole him into this one thing. Um, which again, going back to uh, what you were talking about at the beginning, that was uh, important part to just show these different sides of of this character. Um, what is, what would you say is in his magic elixir? Can you let us behind? <laughs> so oh can, maybe, God! We oh yeah, like how to TikTok yeah, of how to make. I wouldn't Captain recommend it. Um, it makes for some reason he's able to stomach it. This is uh, a reference to issue two, but uh, unfortunately Stanley has a violent, uh, violently ill reaction to it. Um, and if you've ever wanted to see Kelly Williams drop vomit, then issue two. Uh, is definitely for you. <laughs> Kelly told me two of his, two of his favorite, or he said his favorite thing to draw in the book. I believe it's like at the very end. Yeah, it's like one of the last pages when he, uh, he he grab. I'm not gonna spoil too much, but he grabs a, a concrete nun. Mm. There's like, and there's a scene yeah. where he grabs it, and, and there's a blurb that just says "nun grab." Yes. And, and Kelly said <laughs> that was his favorite part of the book kelly is <laughs> hilarious um there's so there's a um part in that issue where uh captain suave uh believes that these two gentlemen um carrying a statue is um some nefarious gentleman um taking away a damsel or a nun um and i just i believe i had written it as something along the lines of um he kicks them and and like Saves her or something so like that. He didn't put the words none. No, that's in all Kelly. And it, and he 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 sent me the um, uh, he'll often send me like thumbnails of like um, him sketching it out, and then I can provide feedback and things like that. Like, well, maybe you want to include this, or maybe you want to pull out a little bit, or whatever. Um, but um, with that one. As a joke, he put the nun grab in there, and he's like, "Don't worry, it's not gonna really be there." And like, I'm, I'm like, "Nope, that's definitely <laughs> we're keeping that because that is hilarious." You don't see a action sound effect, uh, a sound effect as nun grab very often in a comic. <laughs> he said so his other favorite thing to draw was when Champ was po- was pooping behind the bush. Yeah, <laughs> he was like he was like ecstatic telling me about drawing that scene. Yeah, that's. That, that was a fun scene. That's, that's from issue three. That's, uh, it was about that time where I I started thinking, are we going too far off the rails on this book? <laughs> but that's no, I, that's what I love about the book so much. And I told Kelly this when we spoke. I might have told you this before, but it's this beautifully perfect blend of comedy and emotion. Because to tell a story about a homeless person, you have to be diving into some emotional parts 
but it's at at the heart it really is a comedy book and so it these two things that aren't really supposed to go together sit perfectly together throughout the whole book and it's it's like a amazingly done thing you did i appreciate that it was definitely a line to be walked um throughout like this like in in issue three this like the scene where he's crying in his sleep yeah or even uh like the final page which kind of shows his origin i think that's like the heart of the emotion like we were talking about earlier like these people they have stories and it's not just a person you drive past that's just there every single one of them has a deep story it's probably crazier than anything you've been through. yeah and that's what made them them you know yeah it's it was uh definitely a concern for us both um that we not be like exploitative um, and walk that line that you're talking about. Um, we get in a lot of the backstory and character stuff in uh, three and four, really. Um, and actually, Suave's um, backstory is um, similar to an actual case study of um, a homeless person that I had read about in one of those books that I was uh, researching. So, um, lending that uh, bit of reality to it, uh, I think, and helped. Him, him and Stanley kind of have a similar story, too, where they're both, I don't want to say failed, but they're both dads who have made mistakes and are kind of like living and dealing with those mistakes, and they don't really even know it about each other, but they're like yeah, relating to each other in a, in a, it's in a way that they don't even know. It's like it's a really deep subtle things because in this same issue where you you make me like tear jerk you have one of my favorite comedy bits when uh he goes up to the people who are picking up trash doing community service and he asks them each what they what they did to get there and the one guy says i was just providing a momentary relief for people <laughs> and they're like don't make you were a pimp don't make that sound <laughs> <laughs> that's what i laughed so hard when i first read that and then at the end of the issue almost cried like it's issue three i think is the shining star of the whole book not trying to pick her point but no, I, yeah, like totally. I said that was the one that made me realize like wow you really can tell a story with so much emotion so much comedy and neither of them take away from each other I appreciate that. Thank you. I don't. I don't know. I don't really have anything to add to that. Thank you. Yeah, I'm not, I, well, I didn't really have yeah. a question. I was <laughs> yeah. trying. I kind of building up your ego over here. <laughs> well, comedy and tragedy are pretty yin and yang. Sure. You know, and it part of that lifestyle or part of anyone who is uh, that unique of a character, there is extremisms which are hilarious, and it's to not acknowledge some of the crazy stuff that's wildly silly would be dishonoring the person in reality you sure. know so like yeah we did we <laughs> and i i think we definitely lean into that uh a lot with this there was there were times where i definitely asked myself and my editor and kelly i'm like are we going too far with yeah. this like is this too silly but they seem to both be like nope further yeah. I, I agree i agree um, one last thing before we get off Captain Suave. Uh, I told you the story about the nook behind the rock hall. Yeah. Oh. Another cool story I have is that movable bridge. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was a kid, whenever I saw that bridge, my family always told me that my grandpa climbed it. And 
this kind of goes along with Stanley or whatever, but this was in the 70s. <laughs> I don't really know the full story, but they, I, I believe he was like high on PCP or something oh, like that and just went crazy and was climbing this bridge. It was like... Who? My... my uh, not my grandpa who passed recently. My yeah. grandpa who passed a few years ago. Okay. My mom's dead. Okay. Um, so when I saw that bridge, I freaked out. I showed it to my mom and everything. And uh, like, there's just, that's what I love about the book. I told you, one of the things I love about the book, I told you when I read it, I because you put these maps at the beginning of the book, which is such a cool feature. So it, yeah. sh- it shows, physically shows his j- journey, their journey as they go through the book. And you can, I was able to, as a Clevelander, physically go to these general areas. I don't know if I was on, like, the same street yeah, or right. whatever. But when I could see, like, okay, he's by the Rock Hall. Okay, he's he's by, like, the flats, you know. And I was able to read the issues in the area yeah. that he was in. Yeah, so that was, um, so the, the maps idea, um, I got... Uh, from the Conan, Conan books, you know how the Conan oh, books okay, always yeah. start with like yeah, yeah, I love the hyperbia or whatever um, maps, and I was like, I want to do that, but Cleveland, right? So let's make it look kind of like old and tattered, like one of those Conan maps. That's so cool because when I read the Conan maps, I'm always like, cool. Yeah, like, right. I don't know. I don't know what it yeah. is. I'm yeah. just like, Conan's cool. Next page. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so then I'm, I, I'm like, well, okay, and then we can like plot like a couple of the major things that are happening in each of the issue and the actual locations where it's taking place in Cleveland, um, which was trickier than I actually thought because then having to also convey that to Kelly, um, because like you said, he's not from here, he's not been to Cleveland, not familiar with the area. So um, like getting images of like stuff from that area um, was tricky, but um, I think it, it definitely acts to kind of like, set what's happening in that story and then we'll um, definitely include all of those uh, in the trade paperback as well at the beginning of um, each transitional issue because um, I, I do think that's a, f- a fun part of the book there to I see all that. I think important in trades too to have a transition. I kind of hate when they take It's just all together, yeah. That annoys me. Like I'm a single issue reader so maybe it's just like I don't know where to stop. If I'm reading a trade, I want to stop yeah. at the end of a an issue, you know? Right, right. You want to know where the breaks yeah, are, yeah. yeah. Exactly. So, jumping into Ghost of Science Pass, I don't have too much uh, super detailed stuff, but um, it was, one of the things that intrigued me was the first two books I read were set in Cleveland. This one was not. Yeah. I was curious if that's just because you planned it to possibly be in classrooms? Um, you know what? I actually, so I thought um, initially about setting it in Cleveland, um, just because I don't know, I like Cleveland as yeah, my home. One of my favorite, one of my favorite writers, Johnny Cates, he's yeah. from Austin, Texas, and he does that with all of his. Creator. Yeah, every one of his creator-owned books is set in Austin, Texas. And yeah, I always thought that was kind of a cool, like, just nod to him. Sure. It makes it personal, no matter what. Right, you know? and frankly, it makes it makes it a little bit easier to write because totally. you're familiar with the area. So, especially. Um, you know, a book like Suave, where the city is so integral to the story itself, you need to be familiar uh, with the city to hit those certain landmarks um, as part of the plot points. But with Ghost of Science Past, um, though I initially thought about making it set in Cleveland, um, I ultimately decided against it uh, because I wanted, if a kid's picking this up, um, 
I wanted it to be as relatable as possible to that kid so that they can picture themselves in their lives. Uh, and so I didn't want to set it in any one city um, because then maybe they can imagine that it's their hometown or whatever, That's you know? Yeah. yeah. One of my favorite quotes from the book, and I think this kind of sums up, like I said, I did, I'm not a science guy, but I, by the end of the book, I felt passionate about science. <laughs> Good. Like, and I think this quote kind of sums it, sums it up, at least for me personally. Nothing in life should be feared. It should only be understood. I think that's a really beautiful way to look at science because it's like th- that is what science is in an essence, right? Is just trying to understand yeah. things in life. That's absolutely what science is. It's and many people um, you get bogged up in the yeah big words. That's what it was for me. Well, not like only you're, that, you're a biology yeah. teacher, sure. Just the word biology like, <laughs> scares my brain. <laughs> like, it's, a, it's just the study of life. That's all it that's, is. That makes it. That sounds so yeah. much nicer. <laughs> <laughs> but also so much more encompassing. Like oh god. But it's sim- it's like it's like with with instruments. It's like you say sweet picking. That sounds intimidating. But if you just say like he's just playing the notes in a downward like it, it, you know what I mean. Yeah. There's nicer ways to describe things, and I just thought that was a good. Yeah. Oh no, I'm I'm already intimidated by the term sweet picking. Right. It's mm-hmm. I don't even like to use a pick <laughs> or, or a broom. <laughs> or a broom. Uh, um, cleaning stuff up. But no, that's I mean that's that's what science is, and a lot of people fundamentally don't understand um, the ultimate goal of science is is that it's it's really just understanding um, you know the world around us and the universe um, and science can change our understanding can change and some people seek to um, discount science for that reason but um, I've always seen it as one of science's greatest strengths that it's constantly um, evolving as our understanding evolves Um, and that's one of the things that I love most about science is one of the reasons that I became a science teacher is because it's always interesting to me because it's always changing. Mm. That's very beautifully said. No, definitely. Because like if anything that's said, this is the way Yeah. that's limiting and it's only yeah. going to be so far, you know, it can only take you so far. Your understanding so far. Yeah. Is, is so, it similar with you as a music teacher? You feel like music is always growing. For and sure. Changing? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you may have all the same elements like you do in science, mm-hmm. but it's just understanding them in new ways, right? Sure. And like that's, I mean, that's the kind of creative lore in science is that it's always going to be shifting and more is going to be understood. And the more yeah. you, under, it's, if you look at it like the study of life, you know, the more you understand through going through life, the more life's meaning changes. Totally. Um. You mentioned that you picked, or I think you said an editor gave you the advice to pick scientists that maybe students weren't more familiar mm-hmm. with. Yeah. So for me, I don't know very many scientists at all. Like obviously I knew Charles Darwin, and I've heard you uh, mention Albert Einstein before. I've, I've heard of him once or twice. <laughs> um, e. But reading the book, like I didn't, I didn't know who any of these scientists were at okay. all. And what struck me personally is not that I didn't know them, but I thought they were all framed in a different sort of context. I thought you were specifically picking scientists that were like against the grain, that kind of had like semi-controversial takes, but you were framing them in a way that was like from their perspective. So it was less controversial and 
I don't, like, like, I just felt like you picked badass scientists, like, like Marie <laughs> Curie. I'd never heard of. That's how yeah. you say her name. Marie yeah, Curie. Curie. Yeah, yeah. Never heard of. Her. I was like, this is my kind of person. Like, <laughs> she, yeah, her story is um, extremely interesting. Um, I, I picked the topics first because, um, like, like I said, I wanted um, subjects and um, topics that were traditionally difficult for my students. Um, so that they can learn this in a more fun and uh, hopefully more digestible and easier way. Uh, and then the scientists followed afterward. Now, initially, when I pitched the book, uh, I had a different set of scientists. I just picked ones off the top of my head uh, that I knew were uh, representative of each of the topics um, and famous for them. However, uh, my editor, uh, Rob Levin, uh, and the publisher, uh, Mark Wade, uh, suggested possibly using um, a more diverse cast of characters. Maybe we could include scientists that um, people won't be as familiar with. So not only would we then be um, helping them learn these topics, but we'd also be introducing them uh, to another scientist that um, doesn't get discussed as much in a textbook or ever um, mentioned at all. So that had me um, actually delving deeper into the lives of some, some of these scientists. Um, the three that I was already uh, pretty familiar with, Charles Darwin, of course, uh, Gregor Mendel, uh, you'll see him in any he was the one that basic science I, book. I, I was like most intrigued by. Oh, Gregor Mendel, really? Yeah, like for a week after that, I just kept thinking about seeds and like, <laughs> the bee <laughs> plants. Yeah. yeah, I was telling everyone about seeds. Like, yeah, like, <laughs> he. So he, um, though he was kind of uh, uh, shorted in his time, he didn't get uh, credit that was due to him when he was alive. He's in any science textbook nowadays. Um, yeah, I had heard his name, but I didn't know. Yeah. Someone probably tried to teach me about it many years ago. Mm-hmm. I was actually my biology teacher. I was thinking about it. I'm pretty sure freshman year biology teacher just put on like, uh, what's that show? Um, Bill Myth- Nye? Mythbusters. Oh, Mythbusters. I'm pretty sure okay. my entire freshman biology class, we just watched Mythbusters. <laughs> <laughs> I just, so you're like leads so, ahead okay. of the competition. I was going to say, like, I, I'll, th- I'll throw on maybe a clip here and there, like if it corresponds to something we're learning about. But yeah, I don't recommend solely teaching through the use of yeah. Mythbuster videos. Um, but um, it's, good, it's good to visualize a thing. You sure, know, yeah. You know. No, and, he, he would pop, pop it on and then sit in his chair and just. Yeah. Was like the whole class. Yeah, he may he may not want to teach anymore. Um, <laughs> um, and then you know what? That honestly, that's something um, that the book semi addresses as well. Um, you're gonna have good teachers and you're gonna have bad teachers yeah. throughout your life. Um, you know, Dave being a bad one, <laughs> you, you, being, you being a good one. <laughs> I doubt that very much. <laughs> this is normal. This is normal. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah like um marie curie um she's an she's another scientist that um faced a lot of uh adversity throughout her life she's fairly well known um but ernest ever suggests and chin chin Wu, i was not as personally familiar with at all um and i had to do a lot of research and reading and um reading ernest ever's just um uh, biography uh, in particular struck me. And then I was like, oh yeah, we got to include him in there. Um, 
but yeah, it was kind of a concerted effort there um, to not only pair the topic, but with the right scientists as well. Marie Curie's like life, as for as as much of a struggle as it was, how she describes seeing the radium and stuff glow yeah. in the dark and like sounds magical. Yes, like it is. part of her her tale is like to be on that journey. You're like. I don't know. I, I like I liked her narrative. Yeah, and it ultimately killed her. Yeah, which I yeah you know <laughs> magic comes with a price. Yes, yeah. it's badass. That's yeah. what I read. She's she was so I yeah. was like, whoa, this is what scientists are. Like, well, and, <laughs> and the whole radium girls thing from yeah, you know. But the, I also like you to, in the book. You, it's not the her main focus, isn't that her right. character in it? Which I thought was cool. Yeah, I mean too. Um, put it um, on a level that uh, you guys can relate to. Uh, back in the day, scientists were like rock stars. Like those were like the so, famous. So were magicians too. Yeah, like, right. Going back to you, you mentioned magic. Yes. You know, like yeah. So, sorry, Killing reminds... you, magic kills yeah. you. Like, <laughs> some of the magicians that died doing magic were the most famous people right. in the world at the time that they died. Houdini. No. Like so there like, was a magician more famous than Houdini at the time. I can't think of his name. I watched like he's a video. So called. magic, his name disappeared from your mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He was like more popular than him at the di- at the time he died. <laughs> he did this huge trick in front of like the biggest audience ever assembled at the time, and he died in it. Like the building caught on fire and collapsed around him or something. Mm-hmm. And like then they dug the building up years later and found a body and found out that it wasn't his body it was his stuntman's body so they never ended up finding the guy's body and i feel so foolish <laughs> i don't know the guy's name but you know it's remi- it reminds me of uh the movie the prestige you guys seen that uh wait wait wait, wait uh, jim carrey uh hugh jackman actually hugh jackman, hugh okay. jackman oh, and okay, christian yeah, yeah, bale yeah yeah yeah, yeah it's like that's a it's a cool movie where um it kind of walks the line between uh magical performance like they're they're magicians uh but then um also science uh because uh there's a uh, characterization of nikola tesla in the movie um and hugh jackman's uh, character and tries to incorporate some of the science it's not real science but the science that in this depicted in the movie into his act uh at a very great cost to him um it's. I haven't seen the movie in a while, but it was. It, I remember enjoying it a lot. So maybe one for you guys to check out. I, th- I think I was thinking the Majestic with Jim Carrey. The it was, uh, about, yeah. a, it was about a theater. It's about. I <laughs> yeah. I was like, wait, what? Anyway. But you were about to say like, um, so these scientists kind of being like these big public figures, and then we tangent tangent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What what was the the thought you were going to finish on that? I was just um, you know thinking al- along the lines of you know. Um, Science used to be, and scientists used to be, I think, much more revered uh, than they are perhaps today. Yeah. Um, and I, I think we've we've lost something um, along along the way. Where now, some sometimes scientists are completely discounted, and again, people fundamentally don't understand the scientific process. So, I think I think um, maybe maybe we could uh, recapture that in some way. Yeah. Well, I think doing what you're doing now and sharing these narrative that is discovering the meaning of our existence and trying to understand where we are and who we are and that excitement, that magic, 
you know, that's going to bring that thinking and that kind of appreciation for that thinking back. I, I hope so. I, I think science should definitely be the new rock and roll here. Yeah. <laughs> Which is why the, we're going to, the three of us are going to write an album <laughs> called the new rock and roll. No, E equals MC five. Do you have any other anything else? I, I was gonna. I have two wrap up questions. Um, yeah. Okay. Let's hit those. Sounds good. Let's hit those. Um. Well, first of all, appreciate all the flexibility for making this happen and being here. Yeah. Thank you so much. I appreciate you guys having me. Totally. For our listeners who don't know, I was deathly sick when we were supposed to talk a few weeks ago, and Joe has been very respectful and helpful rescheduling and, and hung out in my garage for like <laughs> two hours yeah, already. Yeah. Let's I've do the plug right now, too. Okay. So, so uh, coming up, uh, the Captain Suave trade paperback, uh, the final order cutoff. So that means uh, for your listeners, um, this is the date by which you want to tell your uh, local comic book shop that um, you'd like them to order the Captain Suave trade. And that includes the uh, first five issues uh, the ash can, um, and a bunch of other extras in there. I think it's like 140 some pages. Um, final order cutoff date is, uh, September 17th. Um, and, uh, it should be in shops, uh, on October 25th. Okay. So even if you miss the final order cutoff, uh, hopefully you can still get your, uh, shops to get you that. Um, and yeah, we do, um, you you uh, alluded to this earlier. Um, there is another five issues of Captain Suave written, um, yes. and that is that ends the story. It's um, two uh, five issue story arcs, ten issues in total, um, and the story has an ending. Um, it's just uh, right now Kelly's very very busy um, doing some other projects, so. We definitely, at some point, um, are going to return to Captain Suave and finish his story. What games do you and Kelly play? I went. I meant to ask that yeah, earlier. I, I for, totally forgot. So, um, me and Dave are the opposite of gamers. Okay. <laughs> so um, initially, uh, we were playing things like um, uh, just playing like uh, Call of Duty Zombies. Okay. And, um, zombies is fun. Survival yeah. Zombies. Um, we started playing. Um, some like Elden Ring together. Okay. Yeah, my uh, cousin says that's the greatest it's, game of all. Time. It's great, but it's so <laughs> hard. It's <laughs> like he helped me immensely in the game. Like he took me into this like back way of this dragon where we could just like kill the dragon and score me a bunch of like um, experience points without actually directly having to fight it. Like he's he's better at games than I am. Um, but yeah, those are those are some games that we play. He plays. Uh, a ton of games. We played the um, Evil Dead game a little bit. Um, more into horror games. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, I'm picking up on a trend here. No. <laughs> <laughs> Anything horror, man. Like um, I know he's looking forward to the. Uh, there's a Texas Chainsaw game coming out oh, here, yeah, and he's a huge yeah. Texas Chainsaw fan. Um, but hit those questions, homie. So yeah. Um, when I was reading, so you do, you do, you use a technique in a letter to Joe that is one of my favorite techniques in comic books, and I think it's really underutilized. Um, and you do it in an interesting way, where you have a song playing in the background. Mm, yeah. 
So as you're reading, you see the words to uh, I'll Be Seeing You by Billie Holiday yeah. in the background of the book. So you're, you're almost scoring the comic in a way. Yeah. And a lot of writers do this. There's different ways to do it. The way you did it, it almost seemed like you were trying to have that song play throughout the whole book. Yeah. So whenever I notice something like that, I do I do it. Like, I put the song on. Like, I told you, I, I research. If I see a lyric in a comic and I don't know the song, I type in the lyric and I will relentlessly try to find that song so yeah. I can play it while I'm reading the book. And I did that with this song, but as you probably know, the song is uh, about two minutes and 30 seconds long. And yeah. It's going to take you <laughs> yeah. to read the book, hopefully. So, so you're just... Yeah, well, well, so, so I put the song on. Re- I was, I'm reading the book, and then I turn the song off. I told you I read my books in my van at work. And when I'm reading... <laughs> when <laughs> I'm, we haven't hit that You are really out. trying to get fired. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, my work's address is three six McDonald's at. Um, but yeah, so I listen to the radio station ninety one point one WRUW mm. while I read, which is the, the greatest, greatest radio, radio station, station of all time. In the world, nice. Um, that wasn't a plug. Yeah, <laughs> uh, f- more music, fewer hits. <laughs> but anyways, while I was reading a letter to Joe. I, t- I had the Billie Holiday song on, I turned it off, and I turned the radio on, and they actually had a, I, sh- I don't know if you ever listened to the station, but they do, like, hourly shows. Some shows are more than an hour. Mainly they're an hour. Each show is unique and really cool. Yeah, really well so the sh- I turned it on, and the show that happened to be on at the time was a 1940s show. No way. Yeah, they're playing 1940s music as I'm reading this book. Which don't, no, you don't tell me that song came on. No, no, no. Okay. No, but... I was about to get scared or something. No, but, like, I'm saying... This is that lended to me not wanting to go into work. Like, <laughs> They're playing forties music. I'm reading this forties book. I gotta keep. Anyways, I took the Billy Holiday song and I took a few songs from that. Uh, Dave's laughing because I do this type of crazy. Stuff. <laughs> no, I'm I took at a you. few songs from that uh, radio program and I also researched a few moments in the book, like when they go and see that movie. Yeah. And I took a few songs from that movie and I made a playlist. No way. Called Joe. So I'll. I'll sh- oh, you gotta share that with me. Yeah, I'll share it with you. And I reread the book the other day, and it's, it was just about perfect length for the book. It's That's like, so rad. It was like three minutes more I might have needed, you know. One more song. And, That's. Uh, well, the final song on it. Most of the songs are all like I tried to keep it like that time period, yeah, yeah. you know, in that mood. But then the the last two songs I kind of went off the rails. And the last song is, <laughs> is called Josephine. It's by a band called Dispatch, mm. and uh, a band that Dave showed me when we were really young. One of the first bands Dave got me into. Um, I can't read the word. This song is so beautiful. I can't read the name Josephine without hearing that. Yeah, Josephine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that, that song plus all the 40 stuff, I was like, I gotta make a playlist for this book. So when we when we get done, I'll send you the playlist. Dude, that's that's legit. Like the coolest thing I think anybody's ever told me. So yeah, I yeah, need I'm, to have. I'm that. glad you're not creeped out. No, that's I've, awesome. I've done this for people before that have been creeped. <laughs> out. I'm a playlist guy. Like I live. No, yeah, I yeah. do is through music. So. I I'm gonna have to definitely share that with Kelly too. He'll get a he'll love that. Cool. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to have Kelly on sometime. That'd I got I got his card. I just never got around to emailing. Him. Oh yeah, what? I'm sure he'd love to. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um. 
just oh. you email him tomorrow, and then about a year later, yeah, you'll a year have later minor. we'll be he'll be here in the garage. <laughs> there you, you go. Finally see Cleveland. Yeah, I mean, like this is great. I'm glad I came to this part of Cleveland. You know, so if you do have any local listeners, I, he's talking about maybe coming here um, around the time that the uh, trade comes out. Ooh. So he might be making a visit here. Very cool. Well, Whoa. October 25th, go pick up the trade. Yeah, and then. Then come Whatever day see Kelly us sometime, comes, yeah. you could come meet him. I'll definitely, so it, uh, again, this is all very tentative, but um, should he come visit here, um, we'll either try to correspond it with a local show or definitely, um, I know Superscript um, and Lakewood. Sweet. Those guys um, are awesome. Those guys are awesome. I'm sure we could set up something over there or yeah, we're really one of the other stores. Yeah, we're really blessed in Cleveland to have so many great shops. You mentioned Ground Zero before yeah. we started talking. Yeah. Uh, I mentioned Comics Are Go, Carolyn Johns. There's so Super many um, Superscript. Yeah. There's so many amazing shops around here. We're really lucky. Um, final question. This is it. Dave can kind of help me out with this oh, one. Oh yeah, this one. I didn't. We were talking beforehand, and I didn't know as much about this as he does. All right. But uh, so is when I read Captain Suave, I was like, kind of curious. Is there's a guy in Cleveland? Who dresses? I don't know. I'm not sure if you're aware of this. This may be something you don't know about, okay. or maybe it is an inspiration thing. There's a guy who dresses up like a superhero in Cleveland. I'm not entirely sure if he's homeless. I think he is. I use it whenever I see him, he's on the street. All he right. plays guitar and wears a superhero. He's got costume. a white beard. He's got you're white. Not familiar he, with I've, this guy? I am zero uh, knowledge of this whatsoever. That's so awesome because yeah. he is. Not exactly like Captain Suave, but eerily similar to Captain really? Suave. Yes. Okay. I mean, he's not. I'm, I don't know him personally. I don't yeah, know yeah, yeah. His if he's mad enough to be the king of the mad. He looks now. I need to. Like I need to uh, find him. Where's he uh, hang out? I've seen him at Edgewater a few times. But okay. Dave, I was telling Dave about this, and Dave said that he played a. He brought him. He was like, "You don't remember that time we came into our gig?" And I was like, "Buddy, I would remember that." <laughs> <laughs> so he would walk around with his guitar and be like, "You want to hear a song?" And then like, yeah, you know, he's slinging his CD and like, I I remember picking his brain a little bit and like he was like. Well, I always wanted to be a superhero, and I wanted to do that with my music or something. It was like a very like on the point, like yeah. kind of like the doy philosophy, like you. But like uh, he would go around Tremont a lot, and we were okay. playing at a venue called Dakota, and I swore it was a us gig, but it wasn't. And uh, Cody loves the coda because of the coda. Yeah. So you're like, what's up, coda? And he's like, ah. And he's <laughs> like, yeah. And like, it's a great two hours. <laughs> yeah. But um, I, I was playing a gig there and he was outside playing. And I don't know. I like to include people. So I'm like, hey, you want to come play a tune or two in between this other band? And he's like, okay. And like, I remember he played a tune or two and he had his like lunchbox. No kidding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. I'm, and like, I'm officially uh, on the lookout. So, I can, guitar man is way he went by. Okay, yeah. guitar yeah. man. That's a solid <laughs> name. Just voyage around Cleveland. And be like, Have you seen guitar Have man? You, where's guitar I man? If you uh, there's an I think there was a scene article written about him. Okay. Oh, okay. So maybe we can do some research. Yeah. I could be wrong. I could be wrong on that. The scene might have had a picture of him. So maybe the next episode. Hear me out here. The next episode will be here in the garage. Us three plus Kelly Williams plus guitar. That's <laughs> a guitar man. Yeah, <laughs> I'm into it. Yeah, for sure. Um, one last inspiration question: Is there were you that science student? 
No, <laughs> actually. Um, but that science student um, was inspired by uh, an actual a, student of mine. Is a real Trevor? Uh, n- name changed. Oh, okay. But I had a student who I had um, in one of my science classes uh, when they were a freshman. And he uh, had recently just uh, moved to the area and he felt very um, disconnected, um, possibly as a result of that. Uh, and tried as I might, um, I, I really try to like light a fire under him and, you know, get him um, passionate and enthused about the topic. Uh, but it, it was a struggle because I think just, you know, moving, being in a new school, uh, that was difficult. But what was cool was, um, a year or two later, I got the opportunity to have him in class again. And his mindset, he was like a totally different kid, was a totally different type of student. Like he was enthusiastic about learning. He was excited about science. And I thought to myself, like, what happened mm, in Christmas that interim? Carol. And then, <laughs> and then exactly. <laughs> Did he get That's visited by some awesome. some ghosts of science? I don't Bit know. By the bug of inspiration. This is the homie here. Yes. You see him? Yes. There's a there there is some scene articles, but they wouldn't load. But that's a that's a that's a Channel Eight clip see, on the that's, guy. That's it's not not right on the dot, but it's pretty similar. It, I I <laughs> see it definitely. All right, I gotta meet this dude and give him some comics. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for your time, Joe. We really appreciate you. This was so much fun. Yeah, totally. Thanks love, again for having me. Yeah, we'd love to have you back on uh, if it once it, arc two of Suave. Comes All right, out. we can talk yeah. some more about that. And yeah, when Cody told me about your books, he was like, "Oh, there's a sick scene. Look at this dragon by the rock hall." <laughs> yeah. And then telling me about Letter to Joe and like reading through. And me and Cody, when we get really into a book that moves us, we're like, "Dude, that page made me cry." I'm like, "Me too, man." You know. What I mean? like, <laughs> and both those stories were really touching. And as a teacher, like, it's yeah, it was awesome. So we really appreciate. Thank I you. appreciate getting to dig into your work and you coming into my garage and hanging out and chatting with us. So yeah. one more time, last plug, the final order cutoff cut is September 17th. Uh, let me pull it back up here. No, it's September. Yeah, September 17th. September you're right. September 17th and October, October 25th, 25th is the release date there you go. of the trade paperback for the, li- the life and death of the brave Captain Suave. Yes, guaranteed to be the longest title of any book you pick up that week. And the greatest book you pick up that week. <laughs> Thanks. Boom. Thanks for hanging, man. <laughs> Yo, Spike Spiegel here. You just listened to Zig of the Gig podcast. Keep riding the bebop. See you, Space Cowboy. Bang.